Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to Embodied Astrology. This is your host, Renee Sills. Embodied Astrology is the podcast where I think about the embodied experience, our experiences living in our bodies and um, being here on earth in a physical form, and our relationship to larger cycles as described through the symbolic language of astrology. Astrology is a very old language. It is an observational practice and notation of the fluctuations of light, our sunlight and moonlight, and the rhythms of the planets, of these wandering lights that travel through our skies, and the ways that our bodies are influenced by these lights. Astrology exists all over the world in many different forms. For as long as human beings have existed, I'm absolutely certain that they've been looking up in the sky and wondering, what is that up there? And what does it mean? And how am I in relationship with it? And what is it trying to tell me? In embodied astrology, I bring my profession and background as a somatic movement educator and a embodied intuitive uh, into my practice of astrology. So I've been teaching yoga and other movement forms for 15 years now and experience myself as an embodied intuitive or a somatic intuitive. And what that means is that I get physical sensations in my body that I know are not mine and that give me information about an experience that maybe someone else is having uh, somewhere else or a kind of collective experience that we may all be sharing. And through reading astrology, I get a lot of information in my body. And by thinking about our bodies and how our bodies are part of a, a larger body that we share, um, our planet's body, I get a lot of information about astrology and how to interpret it. So as you listen to this podcast, please remember that you are listening to a creative interpretation and an intuitive uh, interpretation of symbolism. I'll say some things that really resonate for you, some things that kind of fly past your head, and maybe I'll say some things that are really aggravating or that you find um, uh, kind of confrontation with. Be interested in your experience, take what works and leave the rest. Uh, feel free to use your own intuition, make your own associations to what I'm talking about and expand this research. If you are wanting to know about astrology for yourself personally and how the current astrology, as I'm going to talk about in today's episode, influences you, you can listen to your Libra season horoscopes. I make audio horoscopes for all 12 signs. And in those horoscopes, I'll give you a um, kind of summary of what I'm going to talk about in today's episode, particular for your zodiacal energy. You can find those horoscopes in the link from the show notes or from embodiedastrology.com uh, under horoscopes, or you can find the links um, from my profile on Instagram at embodiedastrology. 23rd and ends on October 23rd. 
And I'll be thinking about Libra in its embodied associations through the parts of the body that Libra specifically corresponds with. And then I'll be thinking about how these associations manifest in a kind of larger context through our individual experiences, through our relationships, and through a global experience and politics. In part one, I'll be focusing on Libra's embodiment and thinking specifically about the physicality of the sign and the symbol of it. And then in part two, I'll be focusing on these uh, larger contexts and ideas. If you want to know about the transits that are happening throughout this month, um, and transits are particular acute moments of planetary relationship and the influences of those relationships, or if you want to know about the lunar cycles throughout the month, then please become a subscriber. You can subscribe at any amount per month. You subscribe by donation. And when you subscribe, you get access to my subscribers-only content, and that content includes an extended monthly forecast where I go through the planetary aspects day by day and the lunar cycles day by day. And um, in the extended forecast, you get a recorded version as well as a PDF that you can use um, to record your own process and experience with astrology. This is a really great way to learn astrology and it's a really great way to start to understand how you relate with your embodied astrological experience and it's a really great way to support embodied astrology. Your monthly donations, which again uh, you can donate at any amount, sustain this work. They allow me to continue month by month producing these longer episodes, the more educational episodes about the signs and the audio horoscopes, as well as other new moon and full moon offerings that are all for free and accessible to anyone. So if you're interested in subscribing, you can find out more at embodiedastrology.com subscribe. Subscribers also get big discounts on all of my digital offerings, my online classes, uh, and my year ahead extended reports for birthdays. Every zodiac season gets a birthday report and those make such wonderful birthday gifts. Finally, for those of you who are interested in taking a class with me, in a couple of weeks on the full moon, October 13th, I'll be offering an online class. We'll be working with the full moon chart. Um, you're invited to bring your personal chart to the class to learn more about how this full moon can be read in its influences through your individual chart. And we'll be considering the full moon chart in a larger context of our of shared global moment uh, in a moment when we're really at an important precipice in deciding how we're going to go forward as a global community and on our planet. This is a lot of what I'm going to talk about in today's episode. So if you're interested in attending a class with me, um, that class, as I said, is on October 13th, and you can find more information in the show notes and a link to register. Registration is all by donation, and your donations will be uh, donated once again to the Sunrise Movement, which is a youth-led climate activist organization. I'm also leading a retreat which starts in just a couple of days on September 29th. It's a three-day retreat. It ends on October 2nd. And this retreat is a deep dive into the astrology of 2020 with a specific focus on Jupiter's transit through Capricorn. 
everyone has Jupiter and Capricorn in their chart and this particular transit is kind of a big deal astrologically. It will be a time when we can manifest quite a lot, when we can use our gifts, when we can grow in really important ways, and when we can make pretty important decisions for our futures, our individual and shared futures. To get more information about this retreat or to register, please visit embodiedastrology.com, click the play and learn section and find live events. That's also how you find info about the upcoming class on the full moon. There are still uh, a few spaces left in the retreat and these spaces are offered at sliding scale. So please check it out if you are in the Pacific Northwest area. Um, the retreat will take place in Southern Washington and I am feeling really excited about it. The deadline to register is Friday, September 27th. All right, everyone, let's get into this astrology and Libra. All right, so let's talk about Libra season. Libra season begins on September 23rd, and Libra is a sign that is most commonly associated to a very important word for all of us. This word is balance. Libra season begins with the equinox. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the autumn equinox. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, this is the spring equinox. This is a time of year when we have equal days and equal nights, a time of balanced light. And these times of year where we have balanced light or where we have an extreme light, the polarity, the longest day or the longest night, are the seasonal markers. So these are the times that begin seasons. And again, Northern Hemisphere, this is the beginning of autumn. Southern Hemisphere this is the beginning of spring. So take a moment and look around. Where are you right now in the world, in time or in space? And just consider this yearly moment. What is the balance that you're experiencing right now? Are the days getting longer? Are the nights getting longer? What's happening in the environment around you? What's blooming? What's dying? What are people doing? Are they going back to school? Are they getting ready for summer break? Um, what is happening in your inner life? What does the season mean for you? For me, living in the Northern Hemisphere, I feel the coming of autumn in a lot of different ways. I definitely feel myself becoming a little bit more internal and introverted. The coming of autumn usually coincides with a kind of deeper feeling of seriousness. It's a little bit of the back to school feeling. I want to kind of engage myself a little bit differently with my activities. I feel a little bit more focused. And that focus feels like the coming of winter, the coming of longer nights and more darkness. So as I feel this moment of balanced light, I'm also feeling that the temperatures are still relatively warm. The days are still relatively long. I still want to be out and enjoy myself and be socializing with friends. I'm not all the way into my full contraction that happens for me in the middle of winter. So I just want to encourage you to kind of take a moment and reflect on where you are right now and how what's happening in the light and the environment around you is resonating for you. And the seasons affect all of us differently. So what does this season feel like for you? In our bodies, Libra rules the kidneys and the lumbar region. 
So as I mentioned in uh, the introduction, I'm going to talk a little bit about medical astrology. Medical astrology is its own enormous field. There's a lot of writing and a lot of theory in medical astrology. I'm a novice and um, definitely don't consider myself a medical astrologer, but I do consider myself a somatic astrologer or an embodied astrologer, meaning that I come from a long background of embodiment practice. I've been working with dance and somatic practices really since I was a fairly young kid. And understanding life through the body is kind of second nature to me. I mean, we live in bodies. How could we understand it outside of that? But I spend a lot of time bringing attention into certain parts of my body and trying to relate with that part of my body's wisdom. And this is beyond the medical function or the physiology of this part of my body, but I'm really interested in what are the symbols of the functions of my organs or my tissues. When I inhabit a certain space in my body, what is the cognitive awareness that accompanies that inhabitation? One of my teachers, Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, says um, to listen for the mind of a system. So we might be connecting with our skeletal system or our muscular system or a particular organ like the kidneys. And when we spend some time really connecting in, embodying in that space, there is actually a cognitive shift that happens. It's a perceptual shift. And she calls that the mind of the organ or the mind of the system. So as we kind of consider Libra's correspondence to the kidneys, I'm going to ask you to open your mind to the potential that your body is a symbolic creative vessel, that there are a lot of ways that you might experience your own anatomy, a lot of ways that we can interpret astrology and the symbolism within astrology, and to just play a little bit with me here. So. In medical astrology, Libra is associated to the kidneys and the lumbar region of the body. Now, if you can bring your hands to your back, you can feel where this place is. And some of you know it immediately and others might not. So let's go through it all together. Try and feel your ribs, your rib basket, and bring your hands to the lowest ribs that you can find. And your ribs actually go really far down. They go to about the height of your belly button. And the lo lowest ribs are called the floating ribs. And for many people, those ribs actually are um, kind of more in the body, more towards the body than towards the skin. So you might also need to just kind of push into your back. If you have thick muscles or more fat on your back, you just use your fingertips to kind of move underneath those soft tissues until you feel your lower ribs. Now your kidneys are two um, kind of kidney bean shaped organs at either side of your spine around the height of your lower ribs. And each kidney is about the size of your fist. So if you were to make two fists and bring them towards one another, where your hands would meet at your spinal column, and the height is just about the height of your lowest ribs, that's pretty much where your kidneys are. So keep your hands there for a second and just move your body a little bit and notice how this place moves. This place in our bodies acts like a hinge a lot. 
and since this is where our ribs connect to our spine, it's also the place where there seems to be a junction between the upper body and the lower body, and the weight of the upper body, which includes the ribs and the upper abdominal organs, uh, your arms, your head, etc., can move kind of independent of the lower body. So as you move your body around, I just want you to notice, first of all, how mobile this part of the body is and how it can act a little bit like a hinge. If you let your back kind of round back, you can feel how your ribs curl forwards. And also from this part of our bodies, it's one of the easier places to move into what you might call a back bend. So I just want you to notice that first because posturally we're impacting the kidneys quite a lot depending on how we stand. And if you happen to be tired, let's say your energy is a little bit lower, it's harder to hold your head up high, I know that's how I feel if I'm tired, um, there's more of a kind of rounding in the back and the region around the kidneys might feel like um, it, it pushes back a little bit and the corresponding place in the front of your body might feel a little bit collapsed or sunken in. Now, if you are standing in what we might call poor posture, like more of a schlump, and someone were to walk by you and go, stand up straight. Uh, a lot of people use this kidney region, part of their backs, the musculature there, to stand up straight. And so if you feel what happens um, as you move from more of a schlump into a, a more erect posture, um, this part of your body close to the kidneys is where the muscles will start to get tight and from that part of your body you might feel yourself being pushed forward. Now I want to bring this up because when we push ourselves forward in such a manner um, it can actually be aggravating for the kidneys and it can bring stress and tension into them and also if we're feeling a little bit more lethargic or if our postures are a little um, uh, weaker or kind of more schlumpy, then the kidneys don't have a ton of support. So working with our kidneys is actually a really great way to find postural support. I wanted to bring that in first just as a really practical reason why you might want to embody your kidneys. So take some deep breaths into this part of your body and see if you can let your breath extend outwards and broaden. So you can feel that your lowest ribs expand when you inhale and you can direct your breath into the lowest part of your lungs. And as you breathe, you might even notice that your breath brings a little bit of a rocking motion into your kidneys. And breath is supportive for the entire body. And as I'll talk about a little bit uh, later, the kidneys and the heart are always working together and the heart of course is pumping blood through our entire bodies it's pumping pumping oxygenated blood through our bodies every cell in your body needs oxygen so as you breathe just know that you're breathing in your life source inspiring breath and as you exhale you might imagine how your heart and your arteries and your veins are all circulating this life source through your entire body. And try and breathe into your kidney region. 
and breathe into this part of your body again so that it expands, so that there is a feeling of buoyancy. And bring some spaciousness into your low back. And if you're standing or if you're sitting while you're listening to this, you might even experiment with from your kidney area reaching downwards into your seat or into your legs. And from your kidney area, kind of feeling that your lungs and your chest and your upper body and head can, can rest easily, still buoyant, not collapsing. Your kidneys are really amazing organs, and when I was preparing for this episode, I was watching videos on YouTube um, where people were dissecting kidneys, they were doing anatomy lessons with kidneys. Um, I really love like the kids' science videos that play a little tune and bring you through all the functions of the organs. So I'd definitely encourage you to get online and learn about your kidneys because they are miraculous, amazing, intricate organs. Um, whenever I spend time with anatomy, I just get so blown away by the intelligence of our bodies, by their beautiful organization, and by whatever cosmic intelligence, natural intelligence, I don't know who or what designed all of this. It is so brilliant, and they work so well. So, your kidneys are really important organs. They help keep your blood clean. Your kidneys filter about a half a cup of blood each minute, and that means that your kidneys will filter the eight liters of blood that your body contains 20 to 25 times per day. That's pretty wild. That is many, many liters of fluid passing through your kidneys every day. What happens when the blood moves through the kidneys is that the kidneys remove excess waste and excess water. Um, the waste that they're removing are smaller mo uh, molecules and particles, as well as acid that is produced by the cells of your body as a byproduct of their metabolism. The waste and excess water that the kidneys filter out then become urine. And as the kidneys do this filtration, they maintain a balance of water in your body. They make sure that your body doesn't have too much water. And if you're dehydrated, if you're not having enough, then they'll do their best to try and uh, retain water for your body. They also maintain a balance of salts and minerals, such as sodium, calcium, phosphorus, and potassium. These salts and minerals are, of course, incredibly important for the functioning of all of your organs, your heart, your brain, your bones. Your kidneys create hormones that help control your blood pressure, that help make red blood cells, and that keep your bones strong and healthy. As I said, your kidneys and your heart work together. So your heart is supplying the blood. It's pumping blood out every single minute and your kidneys are balancing the water and the mineral levels in the blood and cleaning the blood. So as you bring your attention again into this kidneys, uh, these, the space of your kidneys and your back body, can you encourage a sense of rest and breath and again feel the way that your breath can spread out around this part of your body? 
And I want to give a, a little special note to the listeners who are yoga practitioners or dancers. Um, as an embodiment person, I know that I draw a lot of you to, to listen to this show. And what I'm about to say, I'm sure is not going to be a surprise for many of you, but I think it's always a valuable reminder. When you're in movement, let your kidneys stay soft. Let them stay relaxed. When you're doing your yoga poses, see if you can feel that your kidneys are floating and buoyant and spacious in your back. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, this part of the body so easily acts like a hinge. It's really easy to compress the kidneys because of the functionality of our skeletons around this place. When we compress the kidneys, when we stress them out, or when they don't have enough support, their efficiency is impacted. If we can really inhabit this part of our bodies, if we can feel that from this part of our bodies we have kind of a gateway and a meeting place between the upper and the lower body, then they actually become really helpful, supportive, and generative places in our bodies that we can move from. Again, just to reference Bonnie, who's such an amazing teacher, and if you ever have the opportunity to work with her, Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, do it. She's in her 80s, and I've really never encountered anybody like her before. So um, I want to call her in, say thank you to, to her for all of her wisdom and to all of the Body Mind Centering teachers as well that I've had the chance to work with. But through her work, she draws a lot of connections between different parts of the body. And when working with the kidneys, um, she encourages us, um, in my experience in her instruction, she encouraged us to feel the pathway of the kidneys through the reproductive organs. So whether you have ovaries or testicles, you can imagine how the internal structures of those organs are deep within the abdomen and kind of central through your pelvic region um, between your front and your back body. And they're another set of paired organs. Um, and they're situated just a couple of inches to the left and the right of your kind of midline area again, between your front and your back. And so Bonnie would often lead a, a kind of awareness practice that asked us to root or um, embody the pathway between the kidneys and the gonads, the reproductive organs, and then from the gonads into the legs. And if you're an anatomy person, you might go, oh, that's the pathway of the psoas, which is true, that's a muscle. Um, but I find that working through organ awareness actually brings me into a softer, more responsive and joyful place in my body, often than working through muscles. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in as a little exploration as well for any of you movers. I'm really interested in thinking about how the kidneys in their function relate to astrology, to the symbol of Libra. So the kidneys, again, are one of the organs in our bodies that are most responsible for maintaining balance within the body, particularly for maintaining a fluid balance. The kidneys serve the heart's function. Of course, they serve the function of the entire system because every cell needs oxygen, every cell needs clean blood. 
but the kidneys are working with the heart. And as a symbol here, we have assistance to the love organ, and we have uh, agents of balance and equilibrium in the body. The kidneys and their function are discriminatory. They sense what is useful and what is not useful. They help what is not useful to pass on through the body. They maintain what is useful to be cycled back through the body. So in this way, we might come to the symbol of Libra as a kind of different feeling than we might if we're just thinking kind of pure astrology words, buzzwords, this kind of thing. Because of course, if you've read about Libra, you've read words like equilibrium or balance. Libra is often associated to relationship and maybe to love. It's ruled by the planet Venus. And so we have the kind of idea that there is a right relationship or an enjoyable relationship that can happen through Libra. Um, although Libra is an air sign and I think of love as an emotion, uh, not so much a thought or an intellectual process. So Libra is a symbol of how we discern our loving kindness or how we bring about balance and equilibrium and harmony within our relationships. And I love thinking about the kidneys and Libra in this way, that the kidneys are an organ that help us filter out what is not useful, what's going to be harmful to the body, what's acidic. And through Libra's function, we filter out what's not useful in our relationships. And just like every cell in our body needs oxygen to function and thrive, as human beings, we need relationships to function and thrive. We need other people and we need relationships to the world, to plants and to animals and to structures that are outside of us. And getting along is not always easy. We all know that. Getting along with other people can be some of the most infuriating, frustrating experiences and projects that we have in our lives. And it's something that we learn or hopefully that we learn how to do and we become more skillful with Libra as a function helps us to do that. It helps us to determine what is useful and what is not useful, what is acidic and corrosive to our relationships, and how to let go of those tendencies, how to see our impact on other people, how to consider someone else's side of the story. So let's take a minute once again and just sense this part of the body this part of the body where Libra resides in the kidneys. And take some deep breaths into that part of your body. Again, feel how your inhale can spread and open your back body. And in your exhale, imagine all of your blood, your healthy blood circulating through your entire body. And then I just want you to imagine a relationship. It could be an imagined relationship, it could be a real relationship that you're imagining. And imagine a moment of tension, conflict, argument. Now for me, when I get tense in an argument, the part of my body that responds is around my kidneys. I can definitely feel how 
in order to guard or protect myself. If I feel defensive, I might get more tight in this area of my body. If I feel sad or misunderstood, I might feel a little bit more collapsed in the front part of my body and like avoidant or checked out in the back part of my body. How about for you? If you were to imagine being in an uncomfortable relationship dynamic where you felt threatened, where you felt like you had to defend yourself, what would happen in this kidney region part of your body? Do you feel your energy here? Does anything shift? Now let's just shift our imagination. I wish it was as easy as that and start to call in the memory or the imagination of just a really beautiful moment in a relationship, one that feels so supportive, one that feels really harmonious and loving. And just notice, does anything change for you in this part of your body? For me, immediately, I feel more calm. I feel the muscles release. In a conflict moment, the experience that I have is a kind of tension that rises up uh, towards my head, and I almost feel a little bit headachy if I let that tension get stronger. When I feel a more um, feel into kind of more of a, a loving experience, it's like the energy in my head can just start to drain down. And when I feel this, I think immediately of Libra's correspondence to Aries, which is its opposite sign, and Aries rules the head. Aries is a sign of argument and warriorship and self-assertiveness. And when I get into a conflict, I don't know about you, I feel like I need to guard myself or defend something or assert something. I don't feel as receptive to another person. I get a lot more in my head. I get a lot more in my survival instincts. I'm not in a place of relaxation. If you felt any kind of response in your body when we did that little exploration, I want to encourage you to bring this exploration into the rest of Libra season. And for the next 30 days or for the next 30 years, as you think into this exploration, as you kind of try it out, just notice, do your own experimentation. When you are relating with another being, and if that relating is not going as well as it could be, what is happening in your back body? What's happening around your kidneys? How do you feel the relationship between your kidney region and your head? When you're in a lovely moment with someone, check in again. As you bring more attention to your body's subtle somatic responses, you become more adept in working with your own responses, with your own reactivity, and with your own state of being. And your state of being has a lot to do with your perception. I'm going to guess that you, like me, have had plenty of experiences where you're relating with another person and maybe they're not wishing you harm at all. Maybe they're not even fighting with you. But for whatever reason, you've got your back up and that's a term that's out there for a reason. <laughs> and because you're in that space, then you're going to perceive them as a force to be defended against. If you're in a more relaxed space, 
it is easier to believe in someone's good intent to see their side of the picture, to see their side of the story. So Libra, as a symbol for relationship, is a symbol for how we can get along with each other. The scales that Libra is often represented with weigh experiences. Oh, you need this. I need that. They said this. They said that. One of Libra's quote-unquote problems is that it can be indecisive because it's always weighing options, it's weighing information, but the ability to weigh information to consider multiple sides of the story is so necessary. It is essential for us to get along with one another and to really hear somebody else's side of the story not from a reactive place, not from a defensive place, or not from a place that actually believes that our two sides are opposed to one another, requires a perceptive capacity that is receptive. Libra is ruled by the planet Venus, and Venus is associated to our receptivity, to our magnetism, how we attract what we love and value into our lives. So as you work with this Libra embodiment throughout the month, Consider you are making yourself or working with yourself to become an ecosystem, a, a magnetic sphere of influence for the experiences that you're having in your relationships. Now you're not alone. You're participating with other people who are making their own decisions about how they're going to react and respond. And of course, not all the responsibility is on you, but you are a part of the equation. And the way that you hold yourself, the way that we all hold ourselves in relationship to one another is so powerful. I'm going to end part one there for today. And in just a couple of minutes, I'll be back with part two. And in part two, I'm going to explore Libra's association to the kidneys and its symbol as a symbol of relationship and justice and harmony as a collective influence and the way that we can think about our larger collective body and Libra's function within it. I'll also be talking about Libra's place on the cardinal cross in relationship to the other cardinal signs and what's happening astrologically within them. This includes Capricorn, Aries, and Cancer. And then I'll be giving some suggestions for working with Libra's potential over uh, the Libra season these next 30 days. So please stick around for all of that. Um, I want to ask you to support Embodied Astrology. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help it to continue. The number one way that you can support Embodied Astrology is by sharing it. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, post it on social media, forward the newsletter. When you leave good ratings and click hearts and likes and leave comments, it all helps uh, Embodied Astrology to grow. And I appreciate you so much and I appreciate you sharing this work so much. Another way that you can support Embodied Astrology is through letting me know how important it is for you. Um, send me an email, drop me a comment, leave me a little note somewhere. Um, let me know what your experience with Embodied Astrology is, and I'm always open to your suggestions. I receive such great feedback. If you're hearing anything in this podcast and you think, wow, um, that's a, a spot that you missed, or this is something that could be improved, 
or I fucking love this and I just want to let you know, I value all of those messages. Thank you so much for being in touch. Of course, your financial support sustains this work. It allows me to continue and devote the time that I do to not just recording, but researching and doing all of the minutia, all the admin, all the editing, all the uploading. Um, this is pretty much a one-woman show. I've been able to work a little bit more with someone on the website and have some back-end help because of your support. And in 2020, I'm looking forward to being able to expand um, my team and bring on some other folks that are going to help this work to continue and make it better and keep making it financially accessible. So please give some financial support if it's possible for you. You can make a one-time donation at embodiedastrology.com in the upper right-hand section on the tip jar. Uh, you can find that link in the show notes. And as I said in the introduction, you can become a subscriber. And that's such a great way to support this project. You get so much in return, extended horoscopes and expanded content and discounts on all of my digital products and you give a regular form of support and I cannot tell you how helpful it is just to know that there is going to be some regular support. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of that support. Um, I'm going to take a, a minute now for some sponsorship support and if you would like to sponsor Embodied Astrology, hit me up, send me a line, let me know. This is part two of Libra Seasons Embodied Astrology episode, and in this part I'm going to consider how Libra as the symbol that we explored in part one and its association to the kidneys might be also explored in a larger collective context. So first I just want to take a, a few minutes and talk about how I feel this relationship between the body and the body's physiology and its functionality and a larger collective experience. In my work as a somatic educator <clears throat> and a somatic intuitive and as an astrologer, I'm constantly working with people on very individual problems, experiences that they're having, things that are going on in their lives, their relationships, their bodies. And of course, everyone is experiencing something that is quite unique. Everybody's coming from their own context, their own backgrounds, and the way that things are manifesting for them are going to be particular to them. Now, at the same time, part of what I do is keep track of these larger cycles and feel into them energetically. And it feels to me that we live in a collective body and maybe that we live in several different collective bodies. Um, sometimes I, I think of them like a, a Russian doll or something, like um, we have our own small bodies. Then we have a, a body that could include our families. So we might think of the family as having its own body, its own functionality, its own structure, its own metabolism, etc. 
We might have a body that includes a cultural identity that we feel affinity for or that has really informed our experience. Um, an example of this is religion. <clears throat> so if you have been raised um, within a particular faith and this faith really influences the structure of your family, which then influences your structure, your expectations, your beliefs, your metabolism, etc., the way that you function. We might think of the religious uh, organization as being its own body. There's the head of something, um, the place where decisions get made. There's the heart of something, its sentiment. There's the circulation of resources throughout this body. There's, again, its structure, its metabolism, how it processes the energy that it takes in and what kind of energy it gives out. And these larger bodies can include all kinds of different groupings and scenarios. So we can think of the collective body of the um, nation or state that we live in and how that body is in relationship with the bodies of other nations or states. And of course, we can think of the collective body of a, a global community as well as the collective body of the planet, which we are a part of, even though we forget it all the time and think that we're separate. Our human bodies are very much made from the elements contained within our Earth and its atmosphere, this terrestrial realm. So when I think about the correspondence between what's happening to each of us on an individual level, I can't help but think how do these experiences ripple out and how are they reflected in a collective experience and how does the collective experience manifest through the individuals. So in the case of Libra and this symbolic connection that is also quite interestingly a very real connection. Um, you know, one of the kind of fascinating things about astrology is that it works. And I can give you a lot of reasons why I think it works. And it also, um, those reasons are honestly quite beyond me. This is such an old language. And I don't really know how it works. It works through symbolism, it works through intuition, it works on some kind of magical etheric plane. But time and again, I experience as a client of astrologers that I am read by someone who has no other knowledge of me. Um, seeing a, a skilled astrologer is quite amazing. They can tell you, you know, this is a time period when these kinds of things were happening. Oh, currently you have such and such a problem. Um, seeing a medical astrologer is fascinating. Uh, I've been told down to very subtle details what the symptoms of my condition and experiences were and what to do about them. And so in my practice of astrology, this happens also. I don't know anything about the people that I'm working with usually. Um, I usually read for somewhere between five and 10 clients a week. And once in a while, I'm reading for a friend or an acquaintance. And most of the time, I'm reading for people who I've never met before, often who've never had an astrology reading before. And I have to trust my own intuition and trust what the chart is saying. And it happens again and again that I'll say, oh, during this period of time, this kind of thing was happening. And you're experiencing such and such a, a sensation in this particular part of your life. And then I get confirmation. So 
Libra as a as a symbol on someone's chart can represent all kinds of things. It can represent the agreements that we make to get along with other people. It can literally represent another person that we are in agreement with or trying to find agreement with. And it can represent the kidneys. And as it is a symbolic language, this representation might be totally literal oh, something's going on with this person's kidneys, uh, or it could be metaphoric. And oftentimes the metaphor and the, the material reality go hand in hand. So if I see something going on in a client's chart in Libra, I might ask them about how they're feeling their own sense of balance or moderation. I might think about the symbolism of Libra first, as a symbol, as something that is definitely poetic and a metaphor. As I question them, uh, we'll get more into specifics of what does this particular me symbol mean in their chart. Um, so now as I'm going to start to talk about Libra and its symbolism and relate it to some of the larger themes, again, please listen to what I'm saying in a general and symbolic way and notice what's resonant for you. And this is where astrology is um, not a science, you know, it's not exact. It is definitely creative. It's definitely intuitive. And if you're an embodied astrology listener, if you're a person who uses and values astrology in your life, then you know why. <laughs> and if you're someone who's newer to this uh, language and kind of checking it out, then, you know, I always just encourage people just feel into your own intuition, notice what resonates. So in part one, I was talking about how the kidneys function, that the kidneys literal function is to filter uh, and balance the fluids of our bodies. Now in the language of astrology, the fluids are representative of feelings. And so the fluid nature or the water nature is represented in the water signs. The water signs include Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. And these signs all give us information about how our emotions are dwelling in our bodies, how they're expressing, and what kinds of emotions they are. So for example, the emotions of cancer are very personal emotions. They have to do with our feelings towards another person or towards a group of people. These are bonding sentiments, emotions that connect us to other people and that kind of connect us to our feelings of being included or excluded. With Scorpio, we have the kinds of feelings that are often really hard to talk about. And these feelings are very deep. They're deep within our being. They might be connected to our feelings of bondedness, but their connections include a lot of other stuff too. So Scorpio is representative of um, the kind of water that holds a lot of weight. So we might have a, a bond with another person and then maybe there's an experience of trauma um, within that relationship. And so the emotional connection to that bond then becomes infused with fear. Or we might have a bond with another person and then um, that person has a bond with someone else and our emotional connection might be infused with jealousy. And things like fear and jealousy are not pure emotions. They're um, amalgamations of many different emotions altogether. 
and they tend to be very complex and very sticky. And the thing about these kinds of feelings is that they're also, um, there's something often very shameful about them. Or to admit them is exposing. We might feel really vulnerable and it might feel dangerous to admit to these kinds of feelings, maybe even to ourselves. And so these kinds of feelings are the ones that tend to grip quite deeply to our insides. Um, they're often acting from the underneath, from what we might call our subconscious. And they act often in very subliminal ways. So they can act in, in kind of a, a manipulative fashion, or they can act in a really attached fashion. They get us hooked on things. Now, the emotional quality of Pisces is an emotional quality that is dispersed. It's vague. It's also hard to talk about, but for different reasons than Scorpio, because it's often impersonal, or we don't really know where it's located. And you might think of these emotional qualities more as vibes. So if you enter into a space and kind of your mood shifts, or you're, you know, living a life that seems great, and everything's fine on the surface, you don't really know what's going on internally, it's like you're in therapy, you're working it all out, you're getting in touch with your shadow, and then there's still this kind of vague, overwhelming presence. And Pisces emotions can manifest in this vagueness. People who are experiencing depression, people who are experiencing a lot of fluctuation in their emotions for reasons that they don't understand or can't comprehend or access to emotions in a much more permeable space, the vibes of other people around you or a collective sentiment that you're picking up on. So if we think about fluids as being um, the place where our emotional experience um, dwells and flows through, and we think about Libra as a symbol for the mechanism within us that is balancing and filtering our fluids. Libra is an air sign. All the air signs are informational, they're intellectual. What Libra does is it weighs and measures. Um, in the example of Libra as a symbol for relationship, when we come into relationship with other people, we immediately size them up. <laughs> is, this, is this a person who has enough value for me to engage with? What, what do they have that I want? What do I have that they want? Where do we come into balance with another? Where are we going to work together? What can I give? What can I take? Etc. So this kind of assessment and this kind of balancing and working with information also happens within our emotional experience. So things arise, right? We have feelings and oftentimes feelings are just manifesting in a very unconscious way through our behaviors. And this is, this is true no matter how much emotional work we're doing. <laughs> so feelings are always manifesting through us. They're manifesting in our posture. They're manifesting in our readiness to perceive information. They're manifesting in, um, you know, how we're engaging with structures in our lives. Feelings also come to the surface for assessment. And 
this is where Libra's functionality becomes very important, where we can sense, and this is what the kidneys do, we can sense where there's waste. So I'm having a feeling, it's coming up, and I'm going, wow, there's a lot of toxicity within that feeling. There's an acidic or corrosive component within it. Do I want to bring it fully into my consciousness, or am I going to... Um, kind of shut it out and contain it in a particular way or tamp it down entirely, pretend like it's not there. How am I going to deal with this? <clears throat> we might sense emotions within our surroundings, within our relationships. Um, we're talking to someone and we sense that they're having a feeling about something. And if you know any um, people who have strong Libra in your life, then they're doing this all the time, right? So it's like a sensing of, are you happy? Are you content? How are you feeling about this thing? Do you want to go forward with that? And that sensing capacity then functions through an intellectual mechanism. Well, okay, you're feeling this way and I'm feeling this way, so where could we meet in the middle? Oh, they're feeling that way and I don't want them to feel that way, so I'm going to do such and such a thing. Now, that intellectual mechanism can also be very unconscious. I'm not saying that all of these things are really didactic in our experiences. I think most of them function quite automatically. And when I think about Libra as a, a function in our collective bodies, so in the bodies of our larger systems, of our families, of our institutions, of our um, nations, and uh, kind of nationalist identities, then I think about the possibility for uh, a kind of larger sensing and ability to filter sentiment. So in the example of a national identity, I might choose the United States because this is where I've been born and raised. Um, it seems that our waters are quite toxic <laughs> at this moment, that the sentiment, that the emotionality that is uh, existent within the United States identity is a very toxic sentiment. So this is an identity that has been built on erasure, it's been built on theft, it's been built on genocide, and it's been built on lies. And there's a lot of um, a kind of glorification of individualism within the United States identity. There's a kind of me-first attitude that's really been celebrated within uh, our national project and uh, kind of pushing forward of uh, patriarchal, misogynist, white supremacist values. Now, those stories... Yes, indeed, they do work well for some people on the surface, but on the lower levels of emotion and the, the collective sentiment that we're all sharing, these values are not working for anyone. So for nobody do they result in feelings of care and compassion within a broader community. For nobody do they result in a feeling of deep connection and place within uh, nature, within our natural element, with the land, with our bodies, with one another? For no one <laughs> do they lead to peace. This is a national project that's been built on war. So part of our collective sentiment as organisms within the United States uh, larger body is a sentiment of protection, of defensiveness, of competition.
And these feelings in our bodies are corrosive. They're acidic. And so if you reflect back on part one and this kind of simple visualization and meditation, how do you feel in your body when you're feeling defensive? Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your experience is. I only know my own body's experience, and I also know the experience of working with um, a lot of bodies at this point. And I trust that all bodies, or at least the the large percentage of bodies, um, respond physiologically to the emotion of um, competition or of defensiveness, or of guardedness, that there is a shift in the soma, in the the kind of fabric of the entire being, all the tissues respond. And if we think about how does defensiveness feel within our bodies, it feels like hardening, it feels like a kind of repulsion, or a pushing away of something. There's a gathering in towards um, a, a kind of inner core or strength and a gripping onto it, right? There's not a receptivity. Now, Libra, the function of Libra within the body um, is to balance. It is to moderate. It is to know when we can take something in and when we can let something go. Libra is ruled by the planet Venus. Venus is representative of sweetness, Uh, In medical astrology, as an aside, Venus is associated to cortisol, which is a hormone that balances our metabolism. So when we're functioning uh, or not functioning with the Libra element, then we go into a place of um, potentially over or hypervigilance, or we go into a place of collapse and low tone. And the systems within us, the energetic, emotional, mental systems, start to get clogged with waste. They're um, too diluted or they're not being replenished. We have the same kinds of things on an energetic, metaphoric level that we might have on a physical, medical level if our kidneys were... (laughs) being mistreated or if they were in a state of dis-ease. So I want to offer this um, within the astrology of our current moment as we go into Libra season. As we move into Libra season, of course, the sun enters the sign Libra, and the sun is a metaphor for consciousness and awareness. But the sun is meeting all of the personal planets in Libra this month. If you've been listening to Embodied Astrology over the course of the last couple of months since Gemini season, all of the personal planets have been traveling together through the most personal signs. Cancer, our our personal feelings. Leo, our personal expressions. Um, Virgo, our feeling of usefulness. What am I, how can I serve? How can I show up? The, The way that we can digest the experiences of our lives and find something to do in them. So this is the last month that the personal planets will really be traveling together. And I should say that um, this grouping of the personal planets is not 
common necessarily. It doesn't happen all of the time. There are some of them that travel very close to each other a lot, um, Mercury and the Sun, for example, but Mars has a very different length orbit. Venus also has a uh, difference in its orbit. So the fact that they're all together is significant this um, the past couple of months. Now in astrology, the personal planets or the inner planets, they're closer to the sun, they're closer to consciousness, receive the influences of the transpersonal or the outer planets. So we can consider the outer planets, um, first Jupiter and Saturn, as being uh, bigger than us. These are kind of social relationships, the way that we are encountering um, our societies. And then beyond that, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Chiron, some of the other asteroids, we can consider these experiences as greatly transpersonal. What's happening in culture, what's happening on the planet, what has happened in the past that's influencing us all. And as the rays of the outer planets or the transpersonal planets filter through the personal planets, we experience these larger um, collective vibrations. They become meaningful to us in our lives. Um, and we, in our response to these influences, then make decisions, um, enforce behaviors, and act in the world to, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Give me a moment. We act in the world to become kind of a, a conduit or a channel for these larger energies to express through us. And when you're reading charts like of event charts or often in a personal chart too, looking for when something has happened um, or the moment that something has happened, Often you'll see it when the moon hits a certain angle. The moon is the fastest moving uh, object in a chart. Or you'll see it when there's a particular alignment with one of the inner planets and one of the outer planets. And so the inner planets can also describe um, triggers, you know, moments when some, some kind of energy can, can pierce through, can come through. So the the interesting and exciting thing I think about Libra season um, is how much potential there is in this season coming up. Uh, Libra is one sign on the cardinal cross. The cardinal cross refers to the four signs that hold cardinal energy. Cardinal energy is the beginning of the seasons. Libra uh, its opposite sign, Aries, are the beginning of spring and autumn, dependent on which hemisphere you reside in. These seasons begin with equinoxes. Um, an equinox is the balanced day and night part of the year. Cancer and Capricorn are the other two cardinal signs. Cancer and Capricorn begin the seasons of summer and winter, again, dependent on which hemisphere you reside. And their seasons begin with the longest night or the longest day. So tropical astrology is the study of light and seasonal rhythm. So these four seasons begin with these markers of time that have to do with light, how we respond to light, the symbolism of light. 
And after the first day of a cardinal season, there are then 90 days until the next uh, first day of a cardinal season. So the cardinal cross includes four signs that are either in opposition, 180 degrees from one another, or in square, 90 degrees from one another. The cardinal cross is an initiatory cross. These are, the, as I said, the beginnings of seasons. Cardinal energy shifts things. It moves uh, our experience. It, it moves energy into a new form. Currently, cardinal earth is being very, very affected. Cardinal earth is the sign Capricorn. Capricorn is representative of the way that we build structures over time how our um, collective sentiment and collective sentiment is the the collective body experience of cancer right our bonds um, how we care for how we nurture how that manifests and manifestation um, of course exists on many different levels but it is material and structural it shapes experiences so when we think of Capricorn, we can think of what has been built slowly over time. Now, this can include old growth forests or uh, the oil deposits underneath land masses or the evolution of species or indigenous ways of living and knowing old knowledge um, or the biodiversity of the ocean. These are our systems, these are structures that have built slowly over time. With Capricorn, we can also consider uh, within our human experience what systems have been built slowly over time. Now, these systems are things like nations. Nations are built slowly over time. Governments uh, as the projects of nations are built slowly over time. Corporate structures, these kinds of uh, you know, corporate conglomerates. Amazon didn't exist um, 20 years ago, but the, or maybe it did, I'm not quite sure when Amazon um, <laughs> came into being, but the kind of corporate structures that would allow something like uh, Amazon, the company, to exist, have been building for a while. So they, they can't just arise from nowhere. There has to be a precedent for them. Patriarchy, the, the kind of, um, you know, one God religious patriarchy that exists um, in all of the world's major religions uh, has, exist, has been built up slowly over time. Um, <clears throat> I said that, and as I said that, I was like, Buddhism isn't a one-god religion, so I just want to make a note of that. But in terms of the Abrahamic um, religions and the way that these religions have really shaped a dominant culture, this is what I'm speaking to. So since 2008, the planet Pluto, no longer a planet technically, but astrologers still definitely um, consider Pluto as a really important influence. Pluto has been moving through Capricorn, and Pluto's influence, its symbolism, is death and dying. What it does is it breaks things down, 
and composts them and turns them into the soil for the future. Now, part of how things break down is their weaknesses become exposed and uh, they rot from, you know, the outside in or from the inside out. So as Pluto has been moving through Capricorn, a lot has been being exposed in terms of the toxicity, uh, the rottenness and the weakness or the fault lines um, of our old growth systems. Now, the old growth systems of uh, the natural world, old growth forests, oceans, etc., are the repositories. They're what, um, what are receiving the influences of the human-made systems. The human-made systems have some rottenness at their core. So if we think back again to what is the sentiment of the United States as a, a collective body, we can think, wow, this is, this is a body that is um, quite polluted. It's quite toxic at this time. It's not to say there's not health in it or vibrancy or strength, but there's so much toxicity. And that toxicity is eating away at our uh, reserves. It's eating away at what we have built slowly over time. The things that we have built slowly over time eat away at what has been built slowly over time in our natural world. I hope that's making sense. So what Pluto describes is not only the destruction of something, but also the way that destruction transforms. So something starts to break down and we have the opportunity, uh, and this is what crises bring, our opportunities, we have the opportunity to participate with how we are going to break down. We're not not going to break down. It has to happen. Um, the oceans are dying. The Amazon forest is burning. Our old growth forests are rapidly declining. Um, there's mass extinction of species. Uh, oil has been being sucked from the ground and it is a putrid substance when combusted, and this is leading to a lot of problems. Um, indigenous peoples are and have been being erased and slaughtered, and their knowledge is being erased and slaughtered. And this is, uh, we, we need these systems, right? If we're going to survive, we need them. So we're at a moment, I think, when a lot of, uh, a lot more people, not that there haven't always been plenty of people who recognize the destructiveness of these human-made systems, um, but a lot of people are now starting to get really scared. And this is what happens when we encounter death. So we've been given very clear messages by the scientific community that we have 10 years <laughs> to um, make a really big turnaround. Not 10 years to wait, but 10 years to work uh, diligently with all the resources that we can muster to shift our ways, to do something else. We can transform in this moment or we can die. Um, we're entering into a new paradigm. The industrial age is moving into the age of technology and automation. We're moving from a time on earth when uh, smaller identities, either individuals 
or smaller tribal identities um, now have been kind of exploded in, in a particular way, thanks a lot to the internet. And there's a different kind of dissemination of information that's available, a really different kind of collective intelligence uh, or unintelligence that is available and that people are accessing and, and um, mm, you know, thinking through, kind of identifying through. So in this moment of transformation, what are we going to do? We have to do something. What are we going to do? Our options to me seem um, pretty either or. We can continue to move collectively in the direction that we've been moving, um, which is towards the capitalist project. It continues with the momentum of patriarchy. It continues with the momentum of uh supremacy and kind of a, a global anti-blackness or anti-darkness. Um, it continues with the momentum of exploitation of, of the environment or of living systems for the benefit of a very few. If we go in that direction, um, we can easily imagine what's going to happen, which is the cataclysmic destruction of our natural world. Um, a very limited amount of resources that only a very few will be able to access, mass extinction of a human population, um, mass extinction of all non-human populations, and uh, kind of the subjugation of whoever the elite isn't into um, a, a populace of kind of producers and or slaves. Um, I don't think that's a really dire... <laughs> prediction, or it's not a prediction, but it's an idea, you know, of where we could go if we continue in, in that direction. Now, we're at a moment where we could actually transform profoundly. If we went in another direction, um, which would include making a lot of changes, which I'll talk about in a moment, but if we went in another direction um, and devoted ourselves to radical care of the resources that remain, and these include our natural resources as well as our human resources. And by human resources, I do not mean the elite. I mean um, indigenous ways of knowing indigenous peoples and old knowledge, the um, knowing of how to work with the natural world in some kind of balance and some kind of intelligence. With human resources, I also mean children. I mean young people who understand their needs in a way that adults can't really possibly comprehend. Um, and then I also mean our collectivism, our, the, the human resource of our combined effort. So if we really attend to the well-being of our family, of our collective body, and if we really attend to the care and the nurturing of our environmental resources, um, we, it's possible that we could make a transformation. You know, I, I imagine it all the time. It's like there's plenty of uh, know-how out there to suck the carbon out of the atmosphere. There's plenty of know-how out there to stop polluting right now, to shift production into a, a completely different um, uh, kind of generative metab metabolic cycle. 
Now, I mean, right now, as in we can do this in the next 10 years, it is not beyond the realm of possibility. It will be a significant shift, but it is not out of the realm of possibility. So this is what's happening in Capricorn, is this transformation of these old uh, systems. Pluto is tearing them down. Now Saturn entered Capricorn in 2017, and in January of 2020, Saturn and Pluto will come together. Saturn has a materializing force. It brings things into formation, and it also restricts options. <laughs> it helps us grow through limiting our options. Saturn and Pluto coming together have a very definitive kind of reckoning quality to them. In Capricorn, they're forcing us to make very important choices about our structures, our personal structures, our familial structures, our societal structures, our collective structures. As the personal planets move through Libra over the course of the next 30 days, they will all form square aspects to what's happening in Capricorn. Now remember that a square aspect, a 90 degree aspect, is a hard aspect. If you think about a 90 degree angle, like think about the edge of a table, um, if one side moves, the other side falls. And the tension between them can be quite frustrating and it can also be very strengthening and productive. So over the course of these next 30 days, we have the sun bringing awareness. We have mercury, uh, the symbol of what we're thinking and talking about. We have Venus, which is a symbol of money and values, our financial choices and our value judgments. And we have Mars, our actions, all moving through Libra in square to the planets in Capricorn. Now, Libra season begins on the day of the Climate Action Summit um, at the UN headquarters in New York City. Um, it begins three days after the global climate strike that was initiated by youth activism. It begins just a couple of days <laughs> before uh, another climate strike. So there will be another global strike on the 27th. Um, it exists at a time when... Uh, Governments all over the world are going through extremely turbulent states. There are a lot of cracks being exposed. There are a lot of weaknesses um, that are wobbling and wavering. And there's so much toxicity that is being brought to the surface for everybody to see. It's kind of impossible at this point to pretend like everything is all good and, you know, this is normal. Um, if you're paying attention at all, it's fucking impossible to pretend like, you know, the government, at least in the United States, I don't know about somewhere else, the government has your best interests in mind. That is false. Um, what's happening in our government is that laws are being rewritten to serve a very few people and to exploit most people as well as our earth. So over these next 30 days, we have a collective possibility and responsibility to embody what Libra can do, Libra's wisdom. Now what Libra does and its wisdom is to be in right relationship, is to find harmony and to find balance, to come into collaboration. Libra's qualities are accountability, 
This is so important if we consider what justice is or what fairness is, these symbols of Libra. How we follow through with something. We're not going to do things perfectly all the time. Um, our small actions don't mean anything if we do them once, but if we are repetitive, if we're consistent, then they mean something, then they build momentum. Our moderation, such an important concept for Libra. Uh, do we take it all? Is it me first? Or can I consider you and what you need? Our consideration. How do we consider other people, other parts of the story? How do we relate with equanimity? And our desire for peace. Libra is the peacemaker. It's the mediator. Over the course of these next 30 days, there are recommended actions being put forth by um, various environmental and youth councils as to how each of us can, in our small ways, take part with these larger global actions. These include making calls to your elected officials. These include talking to people in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. These include making financial decisions that potentially have impact and letting uh, businesses and corporations know that you're making those financial de decisions. Uh, for example, divestment from banks that are funding pipelines and oil projects or um, writing letters to Amazon headquarters and saying that you will find alternatives to using Amazon until Amazon raises um, minimum wage, offers benefits for their workers, and gives some significant portion of their profits uh, to the care for the actual Amazon. Um, so we have a lot of ways that we can participate, again, through our thoughts, what we're thinking about, what we're paying attention to. This is the sun and mercury, our consciousness and mental processes. Uh, what we're talking about with other people are exchanges. We don't need to be provocateurs all of the time, but if we don't talk about it, we don't have a lot of movement. So open your mouth, talk, have conversations. We don't need to know the answers. We just need to ask the questions together. Um, definitely through our financial choices and our value judgments. What's more important to you? Getting that package tomorrow or uh, species diversity? Like really, you know, what's more important? And our actions, how we participate. <clears throat> Libra, as part of the cardinal cross, is in opposition to the sign Aries. Aries is representative of the individual and egoic mechanisms. Aries has been infused in the last year with the presence of Chiron. This is a centaur planet. In brief, Chiron is often described as a healing journey. And the healing takes place when we recognize the origin of our pain and when we bring our pain into a place of consciousness and stop separating from it so that we can stop uh, reenacting or enacting it. The movement of Chiron through Aries is a long movement. This is a nine-year transit. The last time um, this happened was in the 1960s at another time on Earth when um, there was a wave of consciousness within, I'm going to say, more kind of first world, um, white, uh, popular culture of, oh, 
my impact affects the whole. And, um, you know, I, I could do something about it. There is an activism and an awakening at that time that now has is the the same influence is kind of arising. So a lot of people, especially people who are more privileged and more dominant cultures, have this, we have this awakening and a recognition of, oh shit, I'm part of something bigger. I need to participate. I need to advocate, etc. Um, as we get in touch with our egoic structures, we have to also get in touch with the ways that we've internalized the destructive mechanisms of these old systems, of these systems of dominance and governance. Remember that Aries is part of the cardinal cross. Aries is also square to Capricorn. So the way that systems get built um, define and shape our individual lives. They shape the way that we recognize ourselves as individuals within community. And the individuals then build the structures. Over the course of the next 30 days, all of the movement in Libra will oppose Chiron in Aries. Um, Mercury and Venus entered Libra on September 15th and they've already gone through their oppositions. This oppositional um, influence between Libra and Aries and the personal planets aspect in Chiron describe moments of awakening, moments when we can access a, a larger perspective, when we can heal something by integrating it by refusing to participate with violence. Aries is representative of war, of the aggressive instinct. And Chiron in Aries shows us how violence is painful and how that pain becomes lodged in our own beings, in our own soma. Aries, Libra, and Capricorn are all in conversation with the sign Cancer. Cancer is currently home to the North Node. Uh, the North and South Nodes are the places where eclipses happen. The South Node is in Capricorn, very close to Saturn and Pluto. Astrologically, the nodal axis describes what we are moving towards or away from. The South Node is representative of what we are moving away from, what we're shedding and leaving behind, as well as the influences that have brought us to this moment. The North Node represents what we're moving towards, what we are compelled towards because of what has already happened and the next possibility for our evolutionary potential. The movement from Capricorn into Cancer opens the possibility for a shifting sentiment. We're living at a time when the words emotional intelligence mean something. This is significant that people and a lot of people and a lot of young people are talking about emotional intelligence, are prioritizing tenderness, are thinking about ways to include others, to be caring for themselves and for the planet. This is a moment when we can contend with the separations that have been part of our violent pasts and the formation of our destructive egos. Um, I was at the climate strike uh, um, the other day and not in New York, but they, um, you know, a lot of young people were giving speeches and this refrain that keeps coming up, our house is burning. This is a global refrain of our one home, this thing that holds us all, our great mother. 
there's more and more recognition that we're not separate on a fundamental level, that we all share this home and that we have to care for it together. And young people are not confused and not to say that some older people are not confused, but it seems like there has been historically quite a lot of confusion between environmental and uh, social and economic activism or problems. Th these young folks are not confused at all. They recognize that they're all part of the same thing. When there's not social justice, there's not environmental justice. Without economic justice, we can't have either. We share resources. If one of our family members is not being cared for, then the entire family is toxic. There's grief, there's uh, sadness, there's a feeling of um, shuddering and defensiveness. There's a feeling of loss. We have so many members of our family right now who are suffering so deeply. So the development of our emotional intelligence and our collective care is one of the deep potentials of this time. Now, these are times that are going to bring big changes in the earth and in the waters during eclipses in the earth and water signs. Eclipses will continue um, throughout next year in 2020. Uh, we'll shift into a new cycle of eclipses. So over these next couple of months, uh, excuse me, this next month um, of Libra season, the way that we engage our processes of filtration, how do we sense when something is moving through us that is toxic, that is unconscious, that is sediment? How do we work to balance and moderate our own consumption? How do we come uh, into right relationship with other people? And not just for our own benefit, not just for our own gain, but also specifically for our own benefit and gain in the long term. Because when we take care of everybody, we're taking care of ourselves. If someone else is not feeling good and you're in relationship with them, it is going to be suffering for you. All right, so those were a whole bunch of thoughts <laughs> coming out. Um, in a little bit of a, of a tangent. Uh, I hope you were able to follow. I'm going to end there and encourage you to listen to your horoscopes for Libra season. In your horoscopes, I'm going to focus on these themes of where we're coming into relationship, where we can make choices around our um, filtration, our inner balance, and where we can participate in breaking this uh, structure, this corroded, rotten, toxic, oppressive, domineering, uh, killing structure that is killing our planet right now and that is severely impacting our potential happiness um, in our collective body and family. So listen to your audio horoscopes. If you want more information on the specifics of the astrological transits throughout the month, please become a subscriber. In the subscription package, you get uh, the calendar, which you can print out or you can use it digitally if you don't want to waste paper. Um, and you can observe for yourself, how are you experiencing astrology today? How's it coming through your mood? How's it coming through your relationships? What are you seeing in the news? 
Um, you'll also get the extended monthly forecast. And I have to say that I recorded that before I recorded um, this episode. So I'm going to be talking about different things. But in that forecast, I'll give you my own interpretation of how these planetary transits might be sensed on a personal level. Um, Subscribers, of course, get other benefits and discounts, but definitely subscribe if you're interested in learning more about astrology. It's a great way to just start to track these cycles every day in your own experience. Um, On the Libra new moon, uh, which is in just a couple of days on the 28th of September, Um, I'll be offering a a list of actions that you can take. And over the course of the next week, please pay attention to um, information that's being put out around this global climate strike. There's a lot of suggestions there. And on the 28th for the new moon offering, um, I'll give you a compilation of, of resources and suggestions as well. And then on October 13th, on the full moon in Aries, I'm going to host um, an online class, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the podcast. And that class um, will look specifically at the chart for the full moon. So you'll learn about astrology, you'll be able to apply it to your own life. But we'll really be considering how do we meet this moment that we're in as individuals in our own um autonomy and our agency and how do we take action these are all important themes for Aries to participate in this transformation and shift Uh, as I mentioned that class is registration by donation Um, there's a limit of 100 participants and you will be able to access the class afterwards uh, in in its recorded form if you're not able to make the live class please check that out Um, share the information with Uh, other astrology enthusiasts or people who are interested in this theme and sign up for it um, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you there. And then finally, just a reminder that if you wanted to register for the retreat at the end of the month, the deadline is this coming Friday, September 27th to register. Much love to you and I will be looking forward to checking back in with you next month uh, during our Scorpio season episode. Until then, be well, take care of each other, and um, mm, treasure your hearts. Bye for now.